Wow. On that note, turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Good morning. Um, If you're not awake, if you weren't awake, you are now, at least your ears are. Uh, This morning we turn to the subject of oaths, not a subject we deal with frequently, Uh, but we're looking at the subject of oaths this morning as Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mountain to His disciples. So let me just recap for you. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, popular sermon of Jesus, a long teaching section. Uh, We find it in the book of Matthew where He really lays out a lot of things here at the beginning of His ministry. And I want to recap just a little bit, kind of emphasize the last three weeks. Uh, When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we can do this by the way, by the way that we structure our Sunday mornings and when we go through something, we really can, can look at things in a detached manner, right? I mean, we, we, we don't put the things together, we don't follow the train of, uh, of thought uh, because we're only looking at a, a certain section each week. And that may work in some parts of the Bible, but when you're looking at a sermon, I mean, imagine, imagine if you had to listen to one point of my sermon this week and then... Next week, listen to the second point. Next week, listen to the third point. Do you think you would remember points one and two? Probably not. You probably won't remember them 30 minutes after the sermon's over today. I hope that's not the case, but if you're like me, you're prone to forget things. But when you look at this sermon, when we look at this sermon, and, and there's no PowerPoint today, and so uh, we're going to be in the, the Scripture. And so if you've got your Bibles, you need to, to keep those open. If you're taking notes uh, take notes as well, but we can't look at the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, as random tidbits of of good life principles. Okay, if we do that, the sermon becomes random, and we don't see the big picture, the big pictures that Jesus is trying to paint for us, and we don't see the problems that He's trying to attack. He has a progression of thought. There's an order to the scriptures. When we dig in the scriptures, we find that many times God. Has a, has a path there, has a, has a plan, has an order there. Sometimes many things that we have to spend a lifetime looking for and we see the gold in the Scripture when we mine it. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, for instance. We're looking at oaths in verse 33 today. And it's because of what Jesus says in verse 19. As He tells His disciples as they are listening, that He has not come to erase God's standard and God's law for living so that people can live however they want to live. We kind of see that today. We see people that, that though they would agree in principle that we have a moral code, they don't have any aspiration to be conformed to the law of God. So as long as they pray to prayer and they come to church and sit in a seat every now and then, it As long as they're forgiven, there's nothing really tugging at them to change their lives morally, to to be holy, to progress in godliness. And I feel that pressure as well. I'm a sinner. And all sinners feel that. Jesus lives God's good laws out perfectly and He fulfills them all. We've looked at that passage. Adam preached that a few weeks ago. But that doesn't mean we should weaken God's law or His standard for living. Let me give you an example. Uh, I have this debate sometimes with, with, with friends and different people, and I see it 
um, different places, and I've even fallen prey to it sometimes. We have this idea in our culture, our Christian culture. How many of you have ever heard of grace-based parenting? It's kind of a popular term if you haven't. Go pick up a parenting book in a Christian bookstore and you'll, you'll hear about grace-based parenting. And in theory, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to parent by grace. But when we, one of the mistakes that we make is when we assume that pouring grace into our parenting is to remove the law or the standard that God has for our children. So what I'm saying is this, grace comes for two reasons. Grace comes into relationships, it comes from God and it comes from us to our kids for two reasons. At least two. One, to forgive the transgression and to restore the relationship. Grace is God's help and God helps us to restore when there's been sin, when there's been friction, when there's been a wrongdoing. He helps us to restore that. And the second reason grace comes is to help us conform to the standard, to the law. It's not throw the law out. And so we aren't parenting by grace, actually. We aren't parenting the way that we're supposed to parent. When we throw the law out, when we say to Junior, hey Junior, you don't have to respect me. You don't have to honor your father and mother. Hey Junior, it's okay if you tell a lie. No, that's, that's not how we ought to parent. We hold the standard up, and we hold them accountable too. Now, I'm not talking about the standard, you know, all right, Junior, you've got to hit 400 this year in baseball. Okay, that's not an okay, I mean, that's okay, but that's not what God's talking about. We can't relax, though, God's standard for truth-telling, for honoring mommy and daddy, for not cheating at school. These things we have to uphold as God's standard, and that's what we're aiming for. Always. We don't have permission to go for less. Who would say to their children, hey, listen, 99 times out of 100, it's okay for you. You need to be telling the truth. 99 times out of 100. Of course not. We would say always tell the truth. The grace comes in to restore us when we fail and also to conform us to that law. But we never remove the law in order to help our children. We never remove the law from our own lives if we're pursuing godliness. I hope that makes sense. In verse 19, Jesus says this, he says, therefore, whoever relaxes, this is before what we're looking at this morning. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is dealing with a common problem. The common problem of human sinfulness. Human nature that wants to twist God's laws and God's rules to suit our own needs sometimes our own desires sometimes our desires in the moment and Jesus is saying you can't do that I've not come to abolish the law I've come to fulfill the law I've come to uphold it so we have to understand that we need to live by the true intent of God's rules not make our own rules up twist his rules or live by the letter of the law and miss the heart of the law and those mistakes were exactly what the Jews in Jesus' time were doing. And it's the same mistakes that we make at times. They were relaxing God's standards. They were relaxing. Uh, this is a section of, of six different issues that the people typically were, were, they were struggling with. And we struggle with these things as well. 
But they were relaxing God's standards in one way or another. Either they were being rigid or legalistic in some kind of way, or they were being licentious and, and, and opening it up for whatever. But they were relaxing God's standards regarding hatred, regarding anger. They were relaxing God's standard regarding lust and regarding adultery. They were relaxing God's standard regarding divorce. And we see here that they were relaxing God's intent with oaths. In the next session, he goes to, to deal with goes on to deal with religious activity after these six and things that we're prone to exaggerate. And he deals with giving and praying and, and fasting and, and being a, a religious hypocrite and putting on a face and putting on a show and inventing rules. And so there's a purpose to what Jesus is doing here, and he is more, more so than dealing with this one oath issue today. In this sermon, He's dealing with, with something much deeper. He's dealing with our heart. He's dealing with, with the root of the problem. And so the question I want to present to you this morning before we even get to our main text is to ask if you're like me. Do you think at times that you have a right to relax God's commandments because they don't apply to you? Do you have an attitude that says, I don't have to play by the rules like everybody else does? That's not something we just dealt with in childhood. It's human nature it's sinfulness and though jesus has freed us from hell through his cross when we sin against god's laws and god's standard it's wrong it's sinful and he did not lessen he did not decrease the standards that that are on us to follow his rules and his his standards he didn't bring it down a notch by dying on the cross if anything he increased it and then he said here's how i'm going to help you to conform to that law. The problem, the point is our hearts, it's our minds, it's our affections, it's our devotions, it's our desires. Every single day, that's our problem. We need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So let's read our sermon text this morning. In verse 33, Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I feel similar to Isaiah this morning who fell before You and he said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Father, I pray this morning that You will touch my heart, my mind, my lips, and every heart in this room, and every mind, and every set of lips in this room. God, that we will see You as You are. That we will see Your law and Your standard, Your goodness and Your holiness. And that because of that, we will be convicted in our hearts to turn yet again from our sin to trust in our Savior, and to follow You. God, Your law is good. Help us to see it today. 
and to see You. Please draw near to us. I pray Your Spirit would be among us. We need You. In Christ's name, Amen. So, as an introduction to oaths, what is an oath? I mean, we hear this word sometimes. It's kind of vague in our minds. But let me just give you kind of a a basic definition. An oath is to verify the truthfulness of a statement that you make by calling on an object or a person as a witness to hold you accountable. That's what an oath is. It's attempting to verify a statement that you make, a promise that you've made, or something else, some kind of agreement. It's an attempt to verify that to ensure that you're telling the truth, that you're going to follow through by calling an object or a person into witness to hold you accountable. That's what an oath is. Okay? When you go to a court, you've seen it in a courtroom, they put you under oath if you have to testify. And so they, they make you put your hand on the Bible, and they make you take, raise your right hand and take an oath. And that is to ensure, that is to hold you legally accountable for what you say. Now in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 gives us the definition of an oath. It says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. And so it's speaking favorably of an oath there. According to the Bible, oaths are not only to be used, or oaths are only to be used on important occasions and are to be given only in the name of God. Okay? In a couple weeks, you'll see an inauguration, you'll see some oaths being taken. I know some of you didn't want me to bring that up. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, the Bible says, Fear Yahweh your God, worship Him, and take your oaths in His name. God actually wants us to take oaths in His name when we take them. The need for an oath was when someone's truthfulness was called into question, or there, or there was a need for truthfulness. So God Himself, as judge of all creation, He commands that He would be called into the oath, and His name invoked in order to ensure truth. The law of Moses allowed for oaths. In Deuteronomy 23, the Bible says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it. Because He will require it of you, and it will be counted against you as sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, it will not be counted against you as sin. Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips, because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. You know, one of the most convicting words in Scripture, this is not in my notes, but it just, it just popped into my mind, because I think about it very often, but it's the words of Jesus that, that says, They praise Me with their lips, but their hearts were far from Me. May it not be so with us. The law of Moses commanded even oaths at times. When a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to care for, but it dies or is injured or is stolen while no one is watching, then there must be an oath before the Lord between the two of them to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. Abraham and many others in the Old Testament were involved in oaths. Abraham had his servant take an oath. The Apostle Paul made oaths 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, I, in speaking to the Corinthians, he says, I call on God as a witness against me. Ooh. That it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. So obviously, he felt pretty serious about explaining this to the Corinthians to the point that he said, I call on God as a witness against me. May God be against me if I'm telling you a lie. And what's amazing is that God Himself made oaths. Genesis 22, God says, By Myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only Son, speaking to Abraham, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed My command. God swore by Himself. There was nothing higher. No one higher for Him to swear by. And God didn't need to... The question is, why does God need to make an oath? Well, of course everything God says is true. God was making a condescension there. He was, he was, he was helping out Abraham to verify by Himself what He was saying was true in order to give Abraham confidence. Jesus, even during His trial, allowed Himself to be put under the oath that Caiaphas spoke. Angels make oaths. In Revelation chapter uh, 10, it says, Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore an oath by the One who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. And so the question is, should we even make oaths? Is that something... It doesn't appear to be a, a common part of our lives. Do we even need to make oaths? What do we do with that? What do we do with, with when a court makes us take an oath or, or some organization makes us take an oath? Or even in a conversation, should we ever take some kind of oath? There have been groups and individuals throughout history that have refused to take any oath based on what they interpreted Jesus as saying. Quakers, Jehovah's Witnesses, others. And when you read the words of Jesus, you would get that impression. Along with the words of, of James, who seems to be even more strict. James said this in chapter 5, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James appears to be saying no oaths, at least according to some interpretations. But this interpretation misses the facts that we just heard. The oath-taking was not only allowed by Moses, but it was commanded at times. And Jesus said He was not going to abolish the law. Taking oaths was practiced by many godly men in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like I said, Paul took oaths. And even Jesus allowed Himself to be put under an oath. And so Jesus can't be saying to stop all oaths. I think we understand this when we understand the problems that Jesus is addressing. And there are two main problems He's addressing in our passage this morning. And so to understand what the proper interpretation is, we need to understand the two problems that He's addressing. In verse 33, if you'll read with me, Jesus summarizes the common teaching of the day regarding oaths, which was pretty much... Accurate. It was a combination of some Old Testament teachings on oaths. 
And he said this again, you have, ser- you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. That's pretty much accurate. That's Old Testament teaching. It basically says that very same thing in the book of Numbers. But by Jesus' time, oath-taking was a big practice in Israel. It was really common. There was a huge legal code for it as well that the Pharisees and others had. It had ballooned into a monster. It kind of became like our modern-day tax code. There were loopholes all through it. There were rules and regulations, and nobody could really understand it except those who really understood the system, the, the experts. And so the first problem that Jesus addresses is that people weren't taking up oaths with God and before God, the Creator, but with all of His creations. In other words, the command was to only take an oath before God. But they had created a system where you could take an oath or you could swear by a number of different things. And the only thing that the Pharisees cared about was whether you committed perjury or not. They didn't really care about whether you fulfilled the oath or not, but whether you got caught in the legal mumbo-jumbo of it. So you could swear by, I could swear by this stage, I could swear by the piano, I could take an, an oath by the microphone, I could take an oath by the man that made the microphone. There's all kinds of things you could take an oath by. And here's what Jesus said about it. This is an example of what they were dealing with. Uh, in Matthew... Uh, 23, Jesus is, is really going after the Pharisees and He says this, Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? He's arguing, he's saying, you, the temple is greater than the gold. Your, your system isn't even logical. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anybody swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. And again, the same argument. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The point is that people were calling into witness, into their oaths, things that had no authority in and of themselves to judge truthfulness or to hold them, hold them accountable. They had no authority. And Jesus is making the point to them that every single thing you're calling into your oath, God is ultimately behind it anyway. You think you can compartmentalize God and escape God by trying to nuance your promises? What you're going to do, you can't escape Him. He's all around. He's in everything. He's behind it all. He's the authority over every single thing. And that's why the law of God said to only take an oath in the name of the Lord. To acknowledge Him as the judge. To acknowledge Him as the Creator. Because He alone is the authority over everything. And the judge. The second problem, which is at the root of the first problem, is lying. Untruthfulness. People were not being truthful. That's why they had to have oaths in the first place. That's why you have to have laws and courtrooms. 
Because we as a people, we as individuals, you and I, we're born into this world as sinners. And because of that, we're all liars. How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. All of us have broken God's law. Some of us may have more of a problem with lying on a consistent basis than others, but all of us are broken and sinful and tempted to fudge God's law at times, to lie and to not be completely truthful. And this is ultimately what Jesus is addressing. This is what He's trying to go in as a surgeon and to, to, to pinpoint for people. It became a vehicle of manipulation. And no doubt some took oaths out of sincerity, but others created and used these loopholes. There was even one law, I can't exactly remember, but, but you could swear you could swear on something and it bound you. But if you swore toward it, it did not bind you. Of course, my question is, why would you, why would you agree to have somebody take that oath out anyway? But that's just what they were dealing with. It was just mass corruption. The Jews of Jesus' day revered truth in principle, but in practice it was covered up under their system of tradition. Does that sound familiar? Whew. We're so blind to it, we can't even see it. There are so many things that maybe we would revere in principle, but our traditions, and they're not all bad, but, but our way of living the Christian life, our way of living in our family lives, in our, in our workplace, in this culture, We've got so much baggage and garbage on top of the things that our hearts would want to do and God's law would want us to do and He would want us to do that we can't, even, we can't even live those things out because we've hemmed ourselves in. May God begin to free us from those things and allow us the flexibility to serve Him and to be conformed to His law and standard. A system was created with oaths, but they were corrupt. It became wordplay. And something that was meant to ensure truthfulness actually began to do the opposite and became completely untrustworthy. Thus, Jesus tells His disciples in verse 37, let your word be yes, and let your, but let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus is simply telling them, don't manipulate others, don't lie to them, just mean what you say and say what you mean. That is the lifestyle of a Christian, the heart of a Christian. Don't you want to be known as a person that's trustworthy? A person that somebody can count on to get a truthful statement from you? To get a good opinion from you? Now, I know some people want to wear that badge of truth. I just tell it like it is. Uh-huh, yeah. At the wrong times, in the wrong ways, in the wrong number of times, at the wrong, you know, we've got to be careful, we have to be wise with it, we have to speak the truth in love. But we want to be known as a person who is truthful. And so, how do we apply this to our lives? When we hear of oaths, we may not immediately think of it as something that, that strikes us as applicable, but there are certainly many things we can take away, serious applications that we can make. When you think of oaths, you may think back to your childhood when you said something like, cross my heart and hope to die. That, that, that's kind of oath. That's an oath. And a lot of these oaths, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, a lot of these oaths would include a consequence or it would call for a curse upon yourself if you were telling a lie. And that's what that thing was back in. Thankfully, we never took that 
seriously, or most people didn't. And lately, maybe you've thrown out phrases like, I swear on my mother's grave. Or, as God is my witness. The first thing we need to be reminded of is that, that all of our words are heard by God. All of our words. All of our actions will be judged in the great judgment. And to flippantly and carelessly throw out words or promises is not in line with God's standards or desires. James speaks such truthful words, such piercing words when he talks about the tongue. When he talks about how from it flows salt water and fresh water. From it we use to praise God and to curse our neighbor. Our tongue is really what we need God to get under control. Because it's that thing, although we know it's the root of it, it's what's in our heart. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. It's what's in our heart and our mind that comes through our mouths. You just look at all the problems today that are caused by our mouths. The things we say or the things we don't say. The, truth, the lies that, that people tell. If we could only control this thing, what would the world be like? How much more joyful would it be to be in a world like that? Thankfully, we have hope of such a world. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So the first issue is there's the issue of guarding our words. That's what Jesus wants us to do in this passage. Another thing is the issue of truthfulness. We've mentioned that, but we actually do take a lot of oaths in our lives in one form or another. We may not be calling down a curse from heaven if we're wrong, but we do call God into witness at times and for special occasions, whether it be civic duty, someone taking an office, vows at our wedding. We have contracts and business dealings where we commit to doing one thing or another. We make promises to people, to each other. And just on a daily basis, we tell others one thing or another. We say we'll do this. We say we'll do that. We live in community and we live before God Almighty. Therefore, we, especially as His children, if we call on the name of Jesus, we must be conformed to truthfulness. We must pursue truth. We must live truth. We must speak truth and not lie. Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem. He wept. He cried as a prophet because he said lies and not truth prevail in the land. Are we crying over our land? Are we weeping? May we be like Jeremiah. God hates a lying tongue, Proverbs chapter 6 says, and lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, chapter 12, verse 22. And probably the most terrifying of all, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the destiny of liars, it says, is in the lake of fire. Lying has been made popular and cool on TV and in music. It's been made necessary in politics and in business. And the father of lies, Satan, has gotten us to buy into the lie that a little lie won't be found out and a little lie won't hurt anybody. But Jesus came to tell us once again that God's standard has never been anything less for us 
than absolute truthfulness. Be perfect. He will go on to say in the coming weeks during this this message, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. We have no right to take away from that expectation. We are too quick to jump on that and say, well, we can't be perfect. That's true. But we must be perfect. We should be perfect. We are commanded to be perfect. As He is perfect. And so we're kind of caught in a, in a problem. But the standard cannot be lowered. Another issue is of recognizing God's authority and seeking to honor Him with truthful speech. Are you trying to honor God? Are we trying to honor God with our words? Do we think about it all the time? What I mean is that do we feel the weight on a daily basis of God watching over us and hearing what we say? We need to realize that we don't have the authority or the power to change a single hair on our head without God. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to feel the weight of that. We need to be completely submitted to the King. He is in charge, and He ought to be in charge of our words. We don't need Him to, and we don't need to play around with His lordship over our lives, and including, including, uh, well, okay. I th- I would lump into this. I would lump into this what we are so prone to do today, and that is attributing actions to God that we really don't know are true or not. So when, when someone says, you know what, God told me this. Did He? Okay. You know, it's, just, it's, the, it's God's will for my life. You had a different will last month. You know? I remember in Bible college, every couple of weeks, there were, there were a few people at school that they all, God was leading me in this direction. We've got to be careful, folks. I'm not saying that God doesn't lead us. He absolutely does. But it always lines up with His Word. And it always lines up with wisdom. And we better be very, very careful about blaming God for stuff. I have a hunch, I have a a big hunch, that a lot of the stuff we blame God for, He wouldn't want credit for. Amen? We blame God for so much. And a lot of times it's to appear holy. It's to appear righteous or to just make ourselves feel better well we better be on our knees praying and hoping and struggling and seeking that what we think it is that's leading us from god is true that he really is leading us it's not an oath but it's very very similar if we're gonna if we ought to think cautiously about calling god into a, a, an oath as a witness, we need to think very, very cautiously about how we throw God's name around and what we say God is doing or leading us to do. I think we have a problem with that in our culture. Honor God with your truthfulness. Honor God with your oaths and your commitments and your words. And finally, there's the issue of, of our greatest need. And I believe that, that if you isolated this passage, it's like I said at the beginning, you would miss the greatest point of Jesus' message. And He said it a few weeks ago. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. All of us, if we're honest, 
We've had past failures in truthfulness. All of us are sinners who struggle with corrupt desires right now. At times it tempts us to twist the truth, leave some of the truth out, ignore the truth, lie about the truth, that lead us away and cause us to fall far below God's perfect standard. And we have failed. And we deserve judgment. And that's why we need a Savior. We need a Savior to forgive that. To make that sin debt go away. And we will fail in the future. We don't have what it takes. You can't willpower up truthfulness. You can't. You can't leave out these doors today and say, you know what, I'm going to be more truthful. And you start with your resolutions. It's just not going to work. It never does. It doesn't work that way. That's the wrong first move. We need a Lord who can lead us and change us and conform our hearts and lives to the standard and the goodness of God. The standard that He desires. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The greatest message for us this morning is is not that we need to be truthful. That is true. The message is that we need the truth. We need Him. We must draw near to Him. Only through our connection with Christ. Whether you're a believer, or if you're a person here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you must accept Christ as your Savior. You must welcome Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior because you must have Him, the truth, in your life if you're ever going to be conformed to living a truthful life for Him. We need the truth. I was speaking with a, one of our brothers yesterday. And I was thinking about that woman at the well that Jesus was, was talking to. And He told her, He said, the water that you drink out of this well, she just wasn't getting it. The water that you drink out of this well, it's going to make you thirsty again. But the water that I will give to you will well up like an overflowing well of living water and you will never be thirsty again. Forever, you will never be thirsty. One of the mistakes that we can make today is this, friends. We're a very intellectual culture. We uphold principles like prayer, like truth-telling, like coming to church. All good things. But we can fall into the error of studying the well. Of looking at the well. Of talking about the well. Of debating about the well. Of promoting the well and the water that is in it. And we can be busy doing all of the different things that surround the well and the living water. But if we don't come to the well and drink, we will not have His life. That's the message for us this morning. Your words are important. Your truthfulness is important. It's important to all of us. But the most important thing is that we know Him, the truth, in our lives. Are you far away from Him this morning? Come close today.
draw near to Him and He promises to draw near to you. As our musicians come and we have a time of invitation, let this be a time where that is your primary focus. We've talked about a lot of different applications. We've talked about how you need to be truthful. Maybe there's somebody in your life you need to go and talk to and reconcile. Maybe you've lied to them. Maybe you've held something back. Maybe you haven't forgiven them because they've lied to you. There's something that maybe you need to get right with. But that's not your main focus this morning. What I ask you to focus on this morning is, have I drawn near to God? Have I spent the time? Have I been open and honest? Am I as close to Him in my relationship as I need to be right now? All you need to do is come to Him and drink this morning. That's His message to you. That's His love to you. Take hold of it this morning. Let's pray. Father, Your words are true. Your words are life. We know that this written word here this morning that we have examined and we've heard is meant to point us to You, the living Word. God, I need You. We all need You. Our greatest need in this life, Lord, is not religion. It's not a happy American life. It is to know Christ Jesus and Him crucified. To know Your Spirit dwelling in us, changing us, producing fruit in our lives. To know You, Father, as a Father of all blessing. A Father that loves us and cares for us and treats us as one of His own children. His own child, Jesus. A Father that has given us the riches of the Kingdom. A Father that has adopted us into His family. Though we were once enemies. Though we were once sheep gone astray. Father, there's somebody here this morning. The relationship's gone cold a little bit. Or maybe a lot. May this morning they realize once again that greatest truth. They need to be close to You. Help us all to draw near this morning. For Your honor and glory, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen.